You are listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I am your host, Celine Yeager. Each week, I bring you advice from athletes, scientists, researchers, and other experts to help you feel and perform your best, no matter what your hormones are doing. This show is a production of Live Feisty Media. Hello, strong, feisty women. Happy New Year. It is really great to be back. I hope everyone had an enjoyable holiday season and is ready to roll into the new year. I, for one, am looking forward with some hope and optimism because, frankly, that's just how I am. So I made my travel and lodging plans for the last best ride, which is a gravel race that I'll be doing in Whitefish, Montana in August. I am super looking forward to that. I am also looking forward to the Women's Gravel Festival that Girls Gone Gravel is having at the end of April this year, which you should totally check out if you are into gravel riding. You can see that at Girls Gone Gravel. And uh, this spring, that long-awaited book, Next Level, with Dr. Stacey Sims, should finally see the light of day. So I have a whole lot to look forward to and be thankful for, including this show. Speaking of the show and speaking of this new year, if you're interested in trying new things and expanding your physical and mental horizons this year, today's guest has some thoughts for you. Today, I'm talking with Dr. Julie Angel, who is a filmmaker, photographer, artist, movement coach, author, and founder of See and Do, an initiative that encourages others to move in age positively. I found Julie on Instagram and have been captivated by her. She does handstands and all these intricate movements, and she's very fluid. And her main practice is parkour, which, if you look it up, is defined as a sport of traversing environmental obstacles by running, climbing, or leaping rapidly and efficiently. But man, there's so much more to it than that. Julie talks richly about parkour as a methodology for overcoming obstacles and not just the physical hurdle in front of you but all that stuff that's deep inside and she makes what seems like a very inaccessible and intimidating practice incredibly approachable i love love loved this conversation you can learn more about her and her practice at julieangel.com She has also created a series of what she calls, quote unquote, movement snacks, which are 10 minute sessions that can help you get in touch with your breath and refine the way you move so you can be what she calls 360 degrees strong. She's offering a couple of free samples to listeners in our audience, including one that is especially geared for runners. So I will also include those in the show notes. Okay, before we get to it, A quick reminder that you can find us at Feisty Menopause on Instagram and Facebook. We have our private Hit Play Not Pause Facebook group. We have our membership, which is at feistymenopause.com. And if you have ideas for the show, I have an email. You can hit me up at hitplaynotpause at livefeisty.com. Thank you, as always, for the hearts, reviews, and five-star ratings. We have big things planned this year, and your support makes it all possible. Okay, enough of me. Let's have a few words about our awesome sponsors and get on with the show. If you've been listening to this show for any amount of time, you've heard me and many of my guests talk about how the hormonal changes that come during menopause 
can lead to insulin resistance and carbohydrate sensitivity. That all means that it's harder to keep your blood sugar at healthy levels. And unchecked blood sugar makes it hard to manage your weight and body composition and can pave the way for diseases like diabetes and heart disease. Plus, optimizing your blood sugar is also important for exercise performance and recovery. The problem is, it's really hard to know what your blood sugar is doing at any given time. Until now. With a continuous glucose monitor, or CGM, which is just a quarter-sized device that you wear on your arm, you can see your blood sugar in real time and adjust your exercise, nutrition, and lifestyle to help optimize it. I have been testing CGM technology for the better part of a year, and I have learned a ton about how my pre-race meals impact my performance, how to fuel myself during exercise and recover afterwards, how poor sleep and stress really negatively impact my blood sugar levels, and how sitting down to a relaxed meal, no matter what I'm eating, is so much better for my blood sugar than wolfing down even a healthy meal on the go. I've come to believe that everyone could benefit greatly from having these insights, so I am super excited to announce that NutriSense CGM program has come on as a Hip Play Not Pause sponsor in 2022. With the NutriSense CGM program, you get the sensors and you get professional support to help you dial in the diet, exercise, and behaviors that work particularly for you. Each CGM lasts 14 days and each subscription plan includes one month of free support from a registered dietitian. And I really love that. They were there to answer questions before I even thought to ask them. And if you're already knowledgeable in this space, they can provide more advanced tips and recommendations so you can find what works for you. The CGM program also comes with a super easy to use app, which helps you track your data, understand your glucose trends, log your meals, see your macros break down, and much more. The app also gives you an overall score for each of your meals based on your personal body's response. NutriSense also provides a private Facebook group where you can go in and share your experiences and find support from other members. It's all awesome, seriously. And if you're worried about putting on a CGM sensor because it is a little fine needle that goes into your arm, don't. Seriously, the first time I put one on, I braced myself for what I figured would feel like a shot. It was more like someone flicked my arm with their finger. Totally painless. So don't let that get in your way. You can take advantage of all of this Get these insights right now by going over to NutriSense.io slash HitPlay and use the code HitPlay, all caps, one word, for $30 off any subscription to the CGM program. Again, that's NutriSense.io slash HitPlay. Use the code HitPlay, all caps, one word, and get $30 off any subscription to the CGM program. I'll put all of that in the show notes. Check it out today. Let's talk protein. As you've heard a million times on this show, women in the menopause transition need more of it. As estrogen declines, it's harder for us to make muscle and we need to take in more protein to get the job done. If you're training hard, you need even more, a lot more. Two grams per kilogram per day, which for me is about 120 grams. Some days it's a challenge to get through meals alone, so it's nice to have powders on hand when you need them. And if you're looking for one that is low in sugar, high in branch chain amino acids like leucine, which is especially good for muscle protein synthesis or making muscle, 
and is easy on your belly, our sponsor Prevenex has a good one, Norify Plus. Norify Plus is a vegan protein powder, which I know a lot of our listeners are keen to find, and is also super rich in all of your branch chain amino acids and contains probiotics and digestive enzymes, so it's easy to digest and doesn't cause the gassy feeling that you get with many other protein powders, which is something that I know a lot of women are interested in as well. Nerify has more than 130 positive reviews, including one from Hit Play Not Pause listener Donna, who gave it five stars saying, I just made my second shake with the chocolate vegan protein supplement. It is delicious. I love that it has vitamins and branched chain amino acids. I think this will become my go-to protein powder. Thanks, Donna. So listeners of the show can get 15% off their first time purchase by using the code HITPLAY at checkout. Again, go to Prevenix.com, use the code HITPLAY at checkout for 15% off your first purchase. If you don't like it, the company offers a 100% money back guarantee on all of the products within 30 days, no questions asked. So again, use HITPLAY, all one word, all caps at checkout for 15% off your first time purchase at Prevenex, P-R-E-V-I-N-E-X.com. Julie, I have been watching you on Instagram for the better part of a year now, and I am really excited to sit down and have you on the show. I, you know, my, my nephew does parkour and I'm not actually even really sure where he found it, but I, he is more one of the run up the walls, you know, trying to be Spider-Man kind of kids. Uh, And it's something that when I look at it, I think it's kind of uh, on the fridge and maybe esoteric in some ways. And then I see you doing it. And I'm like, how did she, how did you find parkour? How does one enter into this realm of this practice? Yeah. Well, thank you for having me here today. And yeah, well, there was no plan. Like most great things in my life, there was never really a plan. So I was a 34 year old filmmaker, documentary filmmaker. Um, I was in the Southwest of England. I'd just come back from doing a bunch of um, film projects here in Southern California. And my friend and I had made a film called Chlorine, which was all about pool skaters. So people who- I love that. I love that name. Actually. Yeah, it's it's a great film. You can still find the trailer um, online. I actually need to put the full length film up on my YouTube channel. Um, so it's about uh, people who basically search out and then drain and clean swimming pools. And then these are curved bottom swimming pools and then they skateboard them. So this was the film Dogtown and the Z-Boys kind of um, brought a lot of attention to that scene. And we'd been following those same guys who were then in their 40s you know, 25 years later, who were still out skating hard and skating amazing. So we went around, you know, very guerrilla style of like jumping over walls and um, draining swimming pools and all that kind of stuff. But I came from it from just as a filmmaker. And my friend Milan, who was directing, he skates. And we both uh, approached it in, I didn't know it at the time, but it was a very visual anthropology perspective where basically like we would film And then we would sit down and watch the footage with the people who were in the film and how the things that they valued weren't things that particularly me, because I didn't skate, I didn't embody that action that they were doing. 
Um, and so you get this kind of feedback loop of like, you know, you go, you do a shoot and then you come back, you watch it together and then they say stuff. And then, so the next time you go out and shoot, you kind of look at things a little bit differently and then you kind of change and adapt. So basically that was this first, the first moment of kind of doing a project where there were these physical artists who, who I came to kind of think of as physical artists. Cause before that, all my projects had been like about artists really like I, I was yeah. doing a lot of fine art weird shit abstract animation that I loved and I was like I'm never going to be able to make a living doing this and then I loved documentary and then so these pool skaters the way that they saw uh potential and imagine and used imagination and creativity but also had this very physical practice combined with that so you know you go to the most mundane looking space and they're really excited about the details of the architecture and just their creative vision and reimagining the potential of a space and then they how they interacted with the space so I, you know i was all kind of you know into those ideas and then i'm back in london and or back in the uk and um there's a, a tv channel ident so the bbc ran this ident that they'd made and they the idents for the channels were always like they, they would win all the advertising awards. They were like big budget. They were amazing. And there was one called Rush Hour and you can still find it online. And it was with David Bell. And he's it's basically like the epitome of the nine to five. It's, you know, the clock's about to hit five. He's sat in his office. He's got his suit on. He looks down at, on the crowded streets and the commuters and the traffic lights. And it's just like noise and people are stagnant. And he makes his way home across the rooftops of London doing parkour, doing it at the most elite level, doing it in the most spectacular, beautiful, beautiful way. And no one had seen anything like it to the point where um, it really became an issue because people said, oh, well, it's special effects. And then they went, no, it's not. It's not. This is. And then it's like, well, no, that's not possible. You, you would die if you did that. You can't jump from that space and do do that and do that. And if you'd watch it now, you kind of go, oh, yeah, yeah, it's parkour. <laughs> but at the time, this was just like no one had seen anything like it. So that was my kind of first entry point. And then there was a wonderful uh, documentary uh, called Jump London. And I was so excited about watching this documentary because it was then about people who did parkour. And again, this was in, I think Rush Hour came out in 2004. And I'm just a filmmaker. I'm just a filmmaker who's very aware of these things. I've always kind of resonated and connected with more of the marginal elements of society. Mainstream just doesn't make sense to me. Just It just, it's too weird for me. And so I was always kind of very drawn to these kind of more, alternative ways of seeing the world that mixed creativity. And I found movement very inspiring, even though I wasn't doing it myself. Um, and then Jump London came on TV. And again, there was this, um, there was this beauty to the movement. But what I was really interested in is, well, what's the everyday? Like, what's, what is it like for the person who can go and do that? Like, how do you see the world? Like what, when you get up and you go outside, like, what is that like? I'm, I'm like, yeah, I, you know, I understand filmmaking and I understand TV and those kind of the commercial appeal of, of seeing this, you know, spectacle of human possibility. But what drives me is always the everyday. What is the everyday? 
And there was a moment in the documentary where one of the guys is just sat in like a squat. He's balanced on the top of a, a set of swings, like the bar at the top or, you know, kind of like the football goalpost type thing. And there's a moment where he's just sat there and he's just like cool ads. He's just sat there. Like you sit in a chair, he climbs up, balances on a railing at the top. And I was just like, wow, cat people. Cat people are really cool. Like, I'm really curious about cat people. And then simultaneously, I was doing a, I then moved to London. I was doing a visual anthropology evening course at a, a really incredible institution called SOAS, which is the School of Oriental and African Studies. It's like the first ever anthropological institute in the world. Like, just this very stimulating shared ideas of like celebration of difference and looking into everything. And I started to do one of my kind of homework projects and um, so I did a presentation about this documentary and this course just stimulated me so much. Like it was, you know, and it wasn't like a for an academia thing. It was really just a kind of evening class. And I would go home on the tube at night and my brain was on fire with ideas. And I would be like writing things down on little bits of receipts or pieces of paper. And I was just like, I have not felt so inspired and for, for years. And I, I want this to continue. So I started looking for a master's course, ended up finding a PhD course. And then I was offered to do what's called a practice-based PhD. And I was like, I mean, I kind of laughed. I was like, I'm from art college. Like the longest essay I've ever written is a thousand words. Like I, I, I don't, I don't do that. I make films like that. That's not my thing. And I'm not, I don't sit down with the books all day, but I did love a bunch of like French philosophy or all around the politics of um, kind of power and freedom and how that's imposed on society. And that, that really fascinated me. So I, I was kind of happy to get into all that. Cut a long story short, got invited to do this practice-based PhD, didn't know what I was getting into, made part of my PhD proposal about parkour. I wanted to do it about urban free sports. So anything that was unregulated, was an unregulated creative physical practice. So I had like buildering was in it. So like urban speed climbers there at the time there was an urban golf scene in London <laughs> and parkour. And like within six weeks, I was like, it's all going to be about parkour. There is so much to this. And I didn't have any intention of doing parkour. I've been sat down for 20 years. I was the classic teenage girl who loved sport, did sport. I was captain of the netball team. I did athletics for my city, like Plymouth in the Southwest of England. And then, then I stopped. I stopped with no, no conscious decision of anything else. I just, I just stopped. And then 20 years later, I was like, shit, I just sit down all day. And then, but when you start being around people who move, it makes you want to move. It's you, you get really antsy. You're like, <laughs> and so I was with these part, I started filming these parkour people in London and I was like 15, 20 years older than all of them. And because they'd seen this skateboarding film, they trusted me, which was amazing. And I applied this same feedback loop of, because, you know, I'm, I was a, you know, expert quote in my own world of documenting things but I was not an expert in documenting parkour because I wasn't an expert in parkour because I didn't understand it. I didn't embody it and I didn't do it. And it was really humbling at times because I would film something and think like, Oh, that's really beautiful. And then they'd be like, that's shit. 
They'd be like, you, you miss the land. You, you miss so much that like you, you stopped recording too soon. It's all about the landing. No one gives a shit what happens in the air. It's all about the landing because unless you can land well and continue, you're not training tomorrow. You've got an amazing picture in the air, like bodies in space in the air are, are beautiful and wonderful, but the landing tells you everything. But I didn't embody it. So I didn't, I didn't know that. So like when, if I'm teaching jumping, like what's the most important thing of a jump is how you land. Like nothing like, I mean, there's, you know, many elements to it, but most importantly is like, how do you, how do you land? So, but I'd never seen it filmed in that way because it had always been filmed in a very commercial way around this spectacle, around this image, which it, which has its role and it's inspiring and, and is amazing. So like six months in, I, I was, and I just, I wanted to move from day one, but like you're there, you're the only woman, you're with your camera and you're 15, 20 years older than everyone else. And these aren't just people who are like casually doing it. These were like people who were really, really good at it. These were, these were cat people. And, um, and so I didn't necessarily trust them either to, to teach. There was no formalized anything. It wasn't kind of like, and then I saw um, two other women who were doing it, who were like ex-gymnasts. And it's like, that's not me. <laughs> that's not my story. I'm not going to do that. And then, um, and then they ran a class. And I went, I went to my first parkour class. And um, I don't think I've ever been so sore in my life as after, as after this one class. It was like, I mean, I wrote in my book, you know, like if my eyelashes could have ached and hurt afterward, they, they would have. It was it was phenomenal because and also I couldn't believe I was 35 at that time. I couldn't believe how terrified I was of doing stuff because I didn't realize that these kind of onion layers of fear that unless you're stepping into challenge on a regular basis, they start to just coat your life. And then it's not until, and, and, you know, we all sit with our identity of ourselves. So for me, I was like, well, I'm an independent filmmaker and I travel the world and I'm very, you know, da, 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 da. I thought I was kind of, you know, brave and all that. And then someone asked me to do this really simple move. And I moved almost to the point of tears where I'm like, I, I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. And that was very revealing and very humbling and, and amazing because as I heard another lady say in, in a class shortly afterwards, she said, like, no one's asked me to be brave in a really long time. And I haven't chosen to step into an environment where, where I do that. And there's nowhere to hide in parkour. It's not a team sport. No one can do the move for you. You can't really blame it on your equipment or your shoes or your kit. It's a great equalizer because it's just you. And the challenge in that moment, there's nowhere to hide. You're like, but naked, what have you got right now? What are you capable of? And you get to see who you are in those moments. And that's, you know, that, so, and so it's a very emotional pr practice. So some people just aren't ready for it. Like I've seen so many emotional, emotional like breakdowns during parkour classes and people cry and then they're like, oh, and it's like, oh, it's really normal. It's fine. <laughs> so it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. So that was well, my journey in was no plan, filmmaking, spending a lot of time and seeing the reality of the day to day of parkour. It was like these people aren't getting up on rooftops and sprinting across cities. They're taking the bus. They're taking the train. They're finding one location that where they can do, you know, a diversity of things where there's kind of like dense urban furniture 
And then you stay there for a few hours and you train and that place then becomes yours. You have this like intimate relationship with this space because you're every time you do something, you're getting to see who you are and it's fun and you move and then you go home. So the reality of parkour versus a media representation of parkour um, allowed me early access to it. If I'd only known parkour from what I saw in commercials or on TV, and then what later has become like the staple action sequence of every feature film. And it's to the point now where like I can watch a feature film and I can know which, uh, which stunt person it is. Cause I, they, they come from parkour and I, I can see how they move. Like my friend Andrea, it's like, she does loads of the Marvel stuff. Katie McDonald, she does all the star Wars stuff. Um, Fizz, she also does the star Wars stuff. Georgia, she does the video games that it's like, they're, they're just, you know, amazing movers. So, so that is amazing. So I, I have a, <laughs> this is truly amazing. I have, a, I have a couple of questions. Um, the first one is what is actually parkour, which I probably should have asked first, you know, like as you're talking, I'm like, well, what, like, what, what is the origin of that? And two, because when you talk about being brave and people crying, it almost sounds like, the physical challenge is too much and they're afraid of like death, but I, I don't think that's what you're talking about. Like, like what, what, what is the first things that you're doing when you come into a parkour class? Like what did that look like and why was it so difficult and why was it so emotionally and or physically difficult? So let's talk about like, what actually is parkour? Like, what does that mean? And then like, when you go into it, like what, how is that? What, what are those first steps when you go into a class? Sure. So parkour, so parkour is spelled P-A-R-K-O-U-R. And it's a bastardization of a French word of parkour, which sounds the same, which is P-A-R-C-O-U-R-S. And there was this basically the a brief history of, of parkour is that there were a, a group of friends who were all first generation immigrant families, children's. So this multicultural group of friends who lived on the outskirts of Paris. So we're not talking about the city of light and the beautiful culture of everything. We're talking about dense concrete built really quickly in the 60s, uh, the banlieues of, of Paris. And so you had families who were from um, uh, Congo, Vietnam, um, uh, New Caledonia, and then there was Italy. And so you had this really multicultural group and there they just basically had these role models of incredible resourcefulness, um, physical strength and bravery and a huge amount of suffering. So for example, when your, when your uncle has been or great uncle has been sexually abused as a child and became a child soldier, like his idea and reference of suffering is going to be different than like, oh, I did some training and now I'm a bit tired. It's, it's like there's, there's different limits. If your mother has walked across a desert to save her children, you have a different reference point. So this very unique combination of family influences, of resourcefulness, of a group of friends who all wanted to explore their limits and to see, and like I would talk to them and I, I would say like, but why, <laughs> like, why, why did you do these things? Why? why? And they would just say um, to be strong, 
to be stronger. And I was like, what does that mean? So that it's, you know, the word strong is very loaded. And for them, it really meant if they could surpass their own limitations. And it wasn't just their limitations. It was the limitations that, that society had put around them. It was, I mean, what these friends did and what's extraordinary is that it's only like 20, 25 years ago. These people are still here. They're in their early 40s now and they're not broken. They're amazing. They're still moving. They are, they're, you know, they're, they're unique in, in so many ways. And they have completely changed the idea of what's possible. Like when you have friends who, you know, like, oh, they could jump, they could climb up to that, like, I don't know, 20 foot thing and jump down 50 times in a row and not be hurt. It's like, that's insane. Oh, well, you'd break your back. You'd break your knees. You'd break. And it's like, well, no, they didn't start today. They didn't start with that. They started with 10,000 things every single day. And they did that for decades. And they hid, they basically just were in their own little world for at least a decade before anyone ever saw anything. And then they had this opportunity to do a display for the kind of prize firefight against the firefighters of Paris, who were like the most elite movers, gymnasts, strengths, heroes. And they kind of wiped the floor with them. And then everyone went, what the hell was that? Who are these people? What have they been doing? Da, 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 da. So parkour is a way, so it comes from this, this word parkour. It came from this group of friends with this very, like, so none of the individual elements of parkour were, were created, but it is a unique recipe. So it's kind of like, well, you have the bravery and daring of like free soloing. You have the exactness of gymnastics. You have the the bravery and combative nature of yourself and your fears and your emotions that you have in um in fighting you have the jump and dyna dynamic kind of athleticism from basketball or athletics like these were people who were all like just moved a lot they were into athletics and gymnastics and basketball and fighting and a whole bunch of stuff and they just explored and they didn't have limits that other people had and because it wasn't one person it became normal to do things that were not normal um so parkour there's loads of different definitions um for some people it's a simple like how do you get from point a to point b how do you overcome obstacles how do you um, move through the terrain? And so parkour became popular, popularized through seeing it in the urban, but parkour is in every environment. And actually like training in nature is the most complex environment there is. There's no standardization. There's no straight line. If you're, you know, I'd much rather balance on a, a, a rail or it's easier to balance on a rail than it is on a, a tree branch that's maybe, you know, uneven and knotted. So when you, like, if you're in, um, like Rio or something like that in Brazil, like the parkour guys there are phenomenal because they're in trees a lot and they're training around like both the city and in the trees and other environments. So anyone who trains in nature, you have way more complexity. It's like a road runner versus a trail runner, like your reflexes, your adaptation, your, your nervous system. You're just like, there's just an extra layer of finesse and adaptation there because there's no standardization. And everything moves all the time. <laughs> so for me, my, my kind of definition of parkour is that um, it's a methodology. It's a training methodology to overcome obstacles. And those obstacles can be real, imagined, physical, emotional, mental. 
Um, and that's what I was saying about you kind of get to meet who you are in the moment. So like, you know, Ryan Halliday says, you know, the obstacle is the way I'm saying mm -hmm. you and the obstacle are the way most of the time you are the obstacle. And there's, <laughs> that's an obstacle. A fact. <laughs> so there's a lot of conversations going on. There's the conversations within yourself. There's the conversations you have with the obstacle, which provoke the conversations with yourself. So for example, that first parkour session for me, um, we had to, to balance on this um, kind of beam. And was I looked it high up that. in the air or was it on the ground? No, so there were two. There was one on the ground that felt fine. Mm -hmm. And then there was one kind of like, I guess, like one meter, like two, three foot up in the air. And, and the thing is, when you look at everyone else and when someone else is competent at it and makes it look easy, when someone's really good and, and, and efficient, because they don't hold tension because they're efficient, they make it look really easy. And so you look at it and you go like, oh, that's really easy. Like, oh, I can do it on the ground that's fine and then you go to like two three foot in the air and you're just like oh my god 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 yep and then you're like what the hell who am i like why am i so scared i just did it there why am i so scared and i have a very overactive imagination and so like you know you're you're on this thing and then what goes through my head is like oh my it's not just oh my god then it's oh my god I'm going to fall. Then I'm going to break my neck and like, hang on, my teeth are going to fall out. Then I'm going to break my neck and then, and it's then I'm going to lose my job and I'm not going to be able to do my career. I'm right there with you, sister. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. Like the, the number of times I've had to vault something and I look at it and then I'm like, okay, well, I'm, my shins are going to bang into it. And then my knee, and then I'm going to fall and hit my jaw. And then my teeth are going to come out and go, and I'm going to sprain my ankle. And then I'm not going to be able to walk home. Then I'm not going to be able to drive. Then I'm going to lose my job. And then I'm going to have no teeth and I'm going to just be homeless. And I should just end my life now. Yeah, no, I, 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 I fully relate to all of that. <laughs> so there, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot going on. <laughs> and then, you know, how you manifest fear in your own body. Like my knees physically shake. Mm-hmm. I've been kind of climbing up concrete structures and my knees physically bang into the side <laughs> of the wall. My hands shake. I, I physically vibrate. The knee, you know, it's like a cartoon in action. And so, um, but then you come to, to meet fear as your friend as well. Like I now know, like I have a couple of different mantras that I use. I calm my breathing. I have a discussion with myself of like, well, really what's going on here? Am I physically able yet scared? Like what, what you know, it's the difference of like, what are you consciously capable, unconscious, you know, your unconscious conscious, your conscious conscious, like all of those kind of things. Um, so sometimes it's like, okay, I'm physically capable i'm just scared and then it's okay well do i want to be brave today i don't know is it the day i don't know and then you get and the whole thing is self-knowledge you get to know who you are so you get to know the difference between am i just being lazy today or am i physiologically too tired to do this jump or 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 this climb or this balance or this with what you know, whatever it is that you're you're doing, that whatever the challenge is. Um, so you just get to kind of know, like, no, today's not a day. Because when you come a cropper, like you really like, you know, it's unforgiving. 
when well, you... I was going to ask that. I mean, we, we, we joke, but you know, it, it reminds me of like, we talk about riding skinnies on a mountain bike or riding bridges, you know, they, they, they put features up that, you know, if it was on the ground, this plank, of course I'm going to ride it. Like there's no, I can balance. I can stay on this plank as long as I have to, but put that a few feet up in the air. And I'll like, I mean, the physics change, you know, let's be honest. Mm-hmm. I mean, the physics do change. Yeah. Um, but you know, you start to like, there are actual consequences. Should I fall? Right. Absolutely. And you know, there's, there's no question about that. There's, there is a, an element of risk and I could hurt myself. Right. So, you know, where, where does that come into this practice in, in, in a, in a practical way, I guess, you know, I mean, do you, is there a progression where you learn to fall or that you, you know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. that, that, that makes the, 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 that balances out that risk reward a little bit in your Sure, because there's there's a definite danger uh, difference between fear and danger, and that's your own risk assessment that you do. What's your adaptation to that? And behind a lot of that is also knowing why. Why why do you want to do that thing? And because um, because there is this element of risk, because there is this element of challenge, because it requires you to be very present in the moment. Parkour has an incredibly low injury rate incredibly like i've seen so few injuries and accidents in parkour because you're making a conscious decision it's not a bunch of people going out being jackass um, and that's the thing it can look like it for from a an observer or you know you're you're a neighbor and you're looking outside and you're going what the hell are those people doing out there and a lot of the time, you know, the, the largest demographic is, is young males. So uh, a lot of people can find that alarming as well, of people moving in ways that they, they find um, kind of confronting to, to them. Um, they can find it very challenging to look at. So, you know, I don't, I don't do big stuff. I don't, I don't go up very high um, in my training because I don't need to go up there to find out who I am. So when, like so some of my friends do, some of my friends who free solo, some of my friends who are those rooftop people, and that's just their story. And they have no interest in getting hurt. There isn't this kind of, you know, everyone wants to be able to go out and, you know, you want to be able to go and ride tomorrow. Like I want to be, I always want to go and be able to go and play and move, move outside. So when you're present, um, you're not caught up in, and number one, it's kind of like, I mean, there's, there are elements of the creative flow state that can happen when you're out training and there's a bunch of you and you're trying to break a jump and breaking a jump is basically how, you know, there's a challenge and you want to be able to achieve that challenge. So we just call it breaking the jump um, because you break your, your fear and um, you commit to doing that. But very few people like try stuff that they actually don't have their own read on. Like, you know, no one tries stuff that is so beyond their physical capability because <laughs> that's just stupidity. Totally. But, you know, but don't you have to push an envelope somewhere? I mean, there is a switch. Yeah. I call it the, like, I won't swear. I'll try not to swear too much. I oh, swear generally. Okay. So I call it like the fuck it switch. So at some <laughs> point you've got to press the fuck it switch. 
but that's not that's a switch that only you can do ever it's it's only ever on you right you're the only one doing the move it's not um and you know that's why like the you know there are some performance kind of like competitions now with free running there's world chase tag um but a lot of these other kind of bigger moves that we're we're kind of talking about here and imagining is are ones that are um you take time you take consideration and at some point you know am i capable am i capable and what what stops people is con- the, their inability to control their emotions it's very rare that someone tries something that they're physically not capable of and so you know for people who've been doing parkour for more than 10 years 15 years 20 years like no one's doing it to see how big a jump they can do. Like when someone says like, oh, how big is your jump? For me, that's like the most boring question in the world. Right. It's like, I have no, no interest in those discussions. Um, and for, during my research, like anyone who'd been training more than seven to eight years, um, you know, the kind of like, well, why do you do it? A lot of them, after you get, you know, past the like, oh, I want to be strong. I want to see my limits, da, 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 da. It really comes down to can you control your emotions? So training the physical is like, it's kind of simple. So you do this stuff. These are your repetitions. This is your recovery. But the, the kind of mastery or the really, this is what I call like the inner excellence of parkour is can you control your emotions when you meet yourself in the moment? Because you get to see who you are every single day when you choose those challenges, when you do them and how you overcome those obstacles, how you overcome the mental, emotional um, fears are, and that can be transported into anything. That's why there, there is this kind of inner excellence. So how do you overcome this obstacle? Well, you break it down into, you know, how do you eat an elephant one, one teaspoon at a time? Like it's this bite-sized approach of repetition, 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 but it's mixed in with creativity and a reimagination. Because if you can reimagine your environment, you can reimagine the ideas that you have about who you are. So if the railing is not just a railing, if the railing becomes an opportunity to see, can I balance? Can I walk? Can I be playful? Am I prepared to step on this thing and move in a way that something wasn't designed for? Am I prepared to be the weirdo in the park? Am I prepared to have my inner child fully exposed and not be so inner anymore? And move in a way where I connect to my environment and I connect to my environment by getting, by inviting in challenge, playing, being creative and getting, and this kind of flow state. So, you know, flow state, uh, there's, I think it's, if I remember, I I wrote about this like a long time ago, but I think there's, um, you know, eight steps to getting into that flow state and there's individual flow and then there's kind of group flow as well. Uh, but parkour ticks all of them. So flow state is, you know, like the deep immersion and phenomenal phenomenology of enjoyment. So it's like when you're so deep into stuff. So when I've been writing or editing films, 
like the best edits, like I don't remember consciously going, I'm going to cut that there and put that there and do that. Da, 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 da. So you want to take your conscious mind um, out of the picture. We, we want to lose this very frontal lobe. This is me. This is who I am. These are my labels. This is my titles. Da, 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 da. And then you get so lost in the moment of doing the thing, but you're doing a thing which is just above or at the edge of your limitations but it's within your capabilities and you get feedback whilst doing it in this embodied state. And that's so immersive that then you lose yourself and time slows down. And then when you come back out of it, there's this layering of a new version of you who has gone to this limit, who's had this feedback that is embedded with the previous version of you. And that is the, the kind of formula for transformation. So basically you got to like, Take yourself out of the picture. So I always say to people, like when um, when we're training or, or doing a workshop or something, I'm like, you have no business thinking. Like, <laughs> if, if you're going to commit to doing this move, you commit to it. Like halfway through, if you stop going, oh, I don't know. Like, you're gonna you're gonna but, come. Yep. And, you're gonna come yep. and done. And everyone knows that anyone who's like. Like, you know, when you're mountain biking. Oh, I, like, I know like, exactly you know, what you're talking you, you about. Know. Like, you're just like, shut up. <laughs> if I'm, I'm, I'm learning handstands at the moment. This has been my project. I for these saw days. that. Thank you. I did my best one today. Beautiful. I'm, I'm up there and I'm still like, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. And then I have to just go fingers, 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 fingers. Because if I start thinking, oh my God, I'm in a handstand. I get so excited and then I fall. Yeah. And I asked my coach and he was just, just think about fingers. So I just got fingers, 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 fingers. As soon as I bring me into it, lose the balance. Yeah. I lose it. I lose it. So, um, so yeah, you have kind of like no business thinking. You just have this kind of repetition and you have this growth and then you find out who you are and every day you go to do it you have a new opportunity. So a lot of people talk about parkour vision. So this creative reimagining of the environment. So the rail is not just a rail. The bench is not just a bench. The bench is an opportunity for, can I move over, under, through, around, create. So this very tactile, multi-sensory involvement with somewhere which connects you to a space. And that's really powerful. And it's particularly powerful in an urban setting. So, you know, most people are happily happy to kind of go through, go for a walk or a hike or a ride in the woods and like go over the log or under the thing. Some people will climb trees, some people won't, but you put someone in an urban environment and there's a lot more, we, we're a lot more socialized. We're like, this is the way you walk. You know, mm -hmm. when you, when you're going for the uh, waiting at customs at the airport, well, maybe not at customs, but you know, when you're, you're queuing up to check in, do you take the race line? Do you duck underneath the little tape things? Or do you, do you, you know, willfully wiggle and take the really long way around? Um, so we're all very socialized and that really impacts our identity. And this creative reimagining in parkour allows us to kind of question some of those layers. But it's also not, like I say, the reality is not this anarchic, like, people are just sprinting across rooftops and it's out of, and they're all cat burglars and it's out of control. Um, it's kind of like saying, well, everyone who does martial arts is going to be a psychopath and assassin. It's kind of like, well, no, because 
the the discipline and attributes and self-knowledge and transformative nature of this very physical practice, but this very introverted emotional practice um, is actually going to have the complete opposite result. It's going to give you an emotional intelligence. It's going to give you a connection with yourself to be able to meet, you know, to recognize fear as your friend. You're going to listen to it and you're going to be more intuitive to yourself, your needs. And this is both this kind of internal communication, external communication with the world, which really reconnects you. And when you see the world as a playground, it's a much, much more fun place to live, much happier place to live. As listeners of this show know, we talk about some pretty uncomfortable topics. So I am stoked to have a new sponsor on board, Bonafide, who is helping women find relief from a very uncomfortable topic, vaginal dryness. As estrogen declines, those delicate tissues can suffer, making everything from riding a bike to having sex uncomfortable, if not outright painful. Bonafide is devoted to helping women find solutions to symptoms like this that are related to the menopausal transition. One product that I can tell you works like a charm is Reverie. It's an easy to use vaginal insert that rejuvenates vaginal tissue and replenishes your body's moisture so you get relief from itching and burning and also greater overall comfort and improved intimacy. A few of my guests have recommended it. I have tried it. It works. Bonafide also has a host of other products, including a new probiotic supplement that is formulated to promote a healthy vaginal microbiome. You can give Bonafide products a try today. There are no hormones and no prescription is required. You just get quick, real relief. To get 20% off your first purchase when you subscribe to any product, go to hellobonafide.com and use the promo code HITPLAY, all caps, all one word. That's hellobonafide.com, B-O-N-A-F-I-D-E, and the code is HITPLAY, all caps, all one word, for 20% off at checkout. And I'll also put a clickable link in the show notes. Check it out today. Like many of you, I try to eat well, train well, take the supplements I need, and track my recovery, sleep, and progress. So imagine my surprise when I found out I had elevated blood sugar, high cortisol, out-of-whack lipids, and was borderline anemic. Yeah, all while I was racing well and feeling actually pretty great. Turns out, all of my training stress was taking a hidden toll. How did I find out? Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker is a service that analyzes your blood, DNA, lifestyle, and fitness trackers to provide you a personalized, science-based, trackable action plan on how to live, age, and perform better. Inside Tracker is simpler, cheaper, and more convenient than traditional blood tests, and their blood tests also include biomarkers that are key to performance that you don't get from traditional blood tests like ferritin and vitamin D. My favorite part? They don't just give you data, they provide you with nutrition and lifestyle tips to take action. And I've taken those actions myself and have been improving those markers and ultimately my health. So for a limited time, my friends at Inside Tracker are offering my listeners 25% off their entire store. So go to insidetracker.com slash feistymenopause to take advantage of that offer. Again, it's insidetracker.com slash 
feisty menopause, I can tell you, it works. This sounds on so many levels like something that would be so very good for so many women in the audience going through like this menopause transition. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's so much about this. Um, Shed the layers. Shed. The well, that's layers. it. Like, like discovering, yeah. rediscovering, unearthing. You know, pivoting. Like, I, I, like being mindful. Like, there's some. Like everything you said, it's just like, wow. There's so much in there, and also, you know, thinking of myself who has been moving in the sagittal plane forever. You know, I mean, I. I I run, <laughs> I travel, I do trail run, but I ride, you know, my movements, I lift, but I, but I, I have moved in a very specific way for 30 years, you know, or for how, however many years I've not, I've not done this kind of movement, you know, I'm playful on my bike, maybe not so much on my feet, who knows? Um, what do you say to someone like, you know, myself who, who, or, or the audience, you know, who has, who thinks, who looks at that and goes, I don't know, like that's intriguing. I don't know how to start, you know, like what, what would your advice be? Yeah. So, I mean, it, it is all of those things. Um, so the way to start parkour is number one, you need to feel safe. So for a lot of people, it's, it's too far out of their comfort zone to just go out and like, you know, go to a park or go to that little quiet spot at the side of the building or like, mm-hmm. um, or, you know, the, the out, those, those nice little walkways and rails that are outside banks at the weekends and no one's there. Um, so you need to feel safe because it's going to be challenging because it's probably a long time since you were maybe playful and creative outside in a way that, where you're not wearing your sports uniform, you don't have your <laughs> equipment with you. You don't have all these signifiers of um, I'm doing sport right now. This is this is me training. This is normal. So lots of the stuff kind of isn't normal, and that that brings up you know a lot of stuff for a lot of people. So start really small, start safe, and so what I always say is like start looking for a few obstacles in an area where you feel really safe. And start thinking about how can I go over, under, through. So whether it's like, like I particularly like railings at the moment. I'm I'm just doing a lot of stuff on railings. I'm doing a lot of stuff with kind of small walls. Um, And this can be, like I said, it could be urban. It could be natural environment. It could be in the woods or whatever. And just go back to, and it's literally thinking, you know, most people know a small child. (laughs) Of some sort, they can remember what they used to do as a kid, or they'll be like, "Oh, this is how my niece plays, or my nephew plays, or um, something like that." And just start to explore. Start to think about like, how can I get from A to B, and then how can I do it in different ways? So um, you know, you're looking at you know, balance, you're looking at mobility, you're looking at over, under, through, twisting, moving around. And which is why, like, so a lot of parkour people can do a lot of other activities really well. And they, they'll they they'll take to it incredibly quickly. Even like going from, I have one friend in the UK, um, he was, you know, really good at parkour. And within one year, he was a powerlifting national champion. Just because he's got very good body awareness like that. Right. Yes. 
tests. Yeah. Yeah. So his nervous system, his soft tissue, his awareness, all of that. It's like your body is very, very connected because it is constantly adapting to new environments in new conditions and moving in new ways. And we are, you know, our brain and body thrives on variety. Mm -hmm. So, and this is also for me, and I, I know you're on the same page with this, which is, you know, like the magic happens outside. So it's, you know, parkour gyms are, are still a relatively new phenomenon. Obviously, if anyone has access to one and like you can go and find a coach and that's all wonderful. But I still think that's kind of the minority. Um, a lot of people are very inspired by Ninja Warrior because parkour athletes do amazing at Ninja Warrior. Ninja Warrior is very upper body. Um, you know, but the climbers are doing great at it, um, all that kind of thing. But you're looking at, you know, taking anything that's an obstacle and going and playing with it. And you're just saying like, how can I move on this? How can I go over, under, through? How can I get from A to B? And set yourself little games of challenges, even of like, well, how could I, how long could I stand and balance on that? Mm -hmm. You know, they're like the little, um, so here in North America, the, you know, in all the car parks, you have like that little funny little lump of uh, concrete or cement at the end, which is your like little buffer of like, don't put the wheels any more forward than here. Right. Right. So like just stepping and jumping up to that and trying to then stay in balance on that, like that's parkour training. So these, these like think really small, mm -hmm. think, think safe, think, you know, um, I mean, it basically comes back to, you know, you want to be able to like walk on something, crawl on something, run, jump, climb over, under, through, like think of your body in a very dynamic way and then um, just see what happens. See what, and see what that brings up because it'll bring up stuff. And it's also parkour is a very reveal and heal system because anything that it brings up is like, oh, you want to maybe stay and stay and say hello to this. <laughs> Anything you really don't want to do, stay there. Say hello to it. So I'm I'm all for like saying hello to to walls, saying hello to railings, staying like becoming very tactile with the environment. So like if I'm going to train on a rail, I go up and like I walk along and I shake it. I look like a crazy lady because how wobbly that is is going to determine what I choose to do or not do on that thing. Um you know, if you go up to a, a small wall and, you know, you want to put your, your foot against it and you want to find out how slippery is this or not, that's going to determine what you're going to think about doing on there. Um, and, you know, the YouTube and parkour kind of came up together. At, at, at similar, like Web 2.0, parkour, phone cameras, boom. It was like, it was extraordinary. I joined, I joined YouTube um, within a month of it starting. So my YouTube channel is slam cam spam. Like, you know, I, you know, there was no serious name, but I was a filmmaker who was like, Oh, you can put short form content on here. That's amazing. Cause like there wasn't any place for short form content. So I started sharing parkour films and then I got like, you end up with 16 million views because I had a camera and I was hanging out with parkour people and that was new. So it's, it's kind of one of those activities that really, you know, didn't have a kind of print history. It didn't have the, the magazines that the, the, like surf, skate, bikes um, did, or even like, you know, video compilations. It really was of that generation. So there is a world of parkour inspiration out there even. And there's also, um, 
you know, there's a parkour over 40s Facebook group. And it's a really, yeah, it's a really, really lovely group. And there's plenty of us there who are, who've been training wild, who are both coaches. There are people at, and there's a lot of people now who, you know, who've been training for 15 years and they are like, they were elite at age 20 and they're still elite now. And it's, it's kind of, um, you know, who knows, who knows, like, and the things that some of the younger women are doing now as well is also like rewriting the, the playbook of, of inspiration. I have a friend Kiko in um, Long Beach in California, who's 60 and she moves like a 20 year old guy. She's just the most phenomenal person to see move. And she has like 30 years of Kung Fu in her background. So she moves very differently than how I move. And we both play and move together. And that's the thing, like how your body is, your personality, your movement, your physical attributes, you will see things differently relative to you. So opportunities that I will see presented with, I don't know, a, a wall, a tree and a railing, say, would be very different than a friend who was a climber or had a background in track and field or someone who is at day one. So, you know, we put our own stories of ourselves are, are kind of communicated and expressed and then reflected back to us, which is why there is the parkour vision, which is seeing those opportunities. But the, the for me, the most valued is the parkour mirror, which is how does this speak to you? How does this connect you to the world? And because it connects you both physically and mentally because we're, we're mind body everything's connected and it will bring and that's a you know and it's changing all the time that's the thing so there's a great humility in parkour so um this is one thing that the kind of second generation so you have like the founders who are these this group of friends originally and then i learned a lot i spent the majority of my time with the kind of second generation because it was easier for them to express and communicate it because they'd kind of been taught it. Mm -hmm. Whereas for the founders, they, they, and they still say to this day, they're like, Oh, well, our research is very incomplete <laughs> <laughs> and they're very abstract. And, and they're sometimes it's that thing of, um, especially with a lot of kind of um, trailblazers and mavericks and um, the, the genius that allows them to create these things doesn't always mean that they also have the genius and attribute to then share it or have a vision or have a plan. It's kind of like, you know, like I'm, I'm just one of the sheep. I'm not, a, I'm not a trailblazer. And, and when you meet those people who are, you're like, yeah, they're different. They're, cool. they're, they're, they're different. So, so I learned a lot from this second generation and they always shared with me this, um, the other definition, or it's not a definition or a description of parkour, is that it's a culture of effort. And, and that for me is one that's very, very inclusive. So it's um, because effort is for the most part invisible. So what it, the effort it takes me to do something, to break a jump, to overcome a fear, to see who I am in the world, to, to do link mind and body in this physical capacity, um, someone else may look at it externally and just go, oh, well, that's nothing. Someone else may go like, oh my God, that's amazing. And it's completely irrelevant because it's just my effort. It's my body. It's my story in that. Um, so in parkour, I was always really encouraged. Like you kind of never say that like, oh, I can do that jump. Unless you can 100% do that jump. 
day or night, cold start, on your worst day ever, in the dark, wrong shoes, shitty sleep, feeling sick, da, da, da. unless you can like own it, you just shut up. So it's this great kind of, there's a great humility because it's just constant research on yourself and who you are and how you, it's how you move through the world, like physically, literally, metaphorically and overcome obstacles in, in that process. And, and the world should be a playground. The world should be a place where you have a place where you can play and move and challenge yourself and become physically stronger in this diversity of ways of just going over, under, around, through, you know, walk, crawl, jump, climb, um, all of those things. I'm talking quite abstractly to say. No, but no, but it's amazing. I could, I, I find you mesmerizing, honestly. I, I could just makes me want to do this. Um, I, I do want to talk because I know that, and I think it segues very nicely into, you know, your sort of desire to help people be what you call 360 degrees strong. And you also have this uh, notion of quote unquote movement snacks. And I'm, I let's pivot a little bit into what that means and how parkour fits into that. Sure. Yeah. So what I see a lot of the time is that like there, there are people who, you know, when you find an activity that you love, you do loads of it. So you totally. ride your bike, you just ride your bike. Do it all the time. Yep. Do it all the time. That's what you, that's what you love. And that's what you should do. Um, but then after a while, your body becomes the product of that. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It's like, yeah. you know, you yes, can, you can <laughs> yeah. So you can, you know, you can look at someone and you go like, they're a powerlifter, they're yeah. a surfer, they're a, they're a, they're a biker, they're a, you know, and, you know, there's always exceptions, but a lot of the time you can kind of do that. And what I see a lot is that um, when we don't have a generalist approach to movement and training, that breeds imbalances, imbalances result in injuries. And then that stops you from doing the thing that you love. And so you're always going to do, you're always going to want to do more of the thing that you love because you love it, brings you joy. And it sucks when you're injured. And a lot of people, um, when they then try and recover from injuries, they're still not bringing in anything that really addresses the imbalances. So when you're 360 degrees strong, it also, it's about, like for me, movement isn't just like for for playing and feeling good or training, whatever. For me, it's like, it's for life. Like on Monday, I had to go and help a friend pick up a roof tent from the the docks. And, you know, it's this like 160 pound thing, you know, which we were both like, okay, we can both deadlift that. This is fine. Okay. You know, uh, everything's fine. Um, but it was a really like weird shape. And then you had to put it into the bed of the truck. And then you had to like go in weird angles and stuff like that. Like, that's why I train. That's why I train. Uh, a neighbor had, was looking after a friend's dog. It, it went to the vet. He couldn't lift it out the back of his car and you had to like lean it. So it's, and then I had to carry this dog from the car up the stairs. <laughs> and it was after a day when I'd like trained, done kettlebells and been climbing. And I remember thinking like, my elbows are fried, but like, I am never going to drop this dog. <laughs> this is why I train. This is, this is like, if I do one thing this year, I'm not going to drop this dog. Um, so it's kind of like you want to have access to your fitness 24 seven. And that's the baseline that matters. Can, do you have access for your fitness for life, to be better at life. And when you train to be 360 degrees strong, you have that. 
So I don't climb very much, but when I do go climbing, I can climb. When I like, I'm not surfing very much at the moment, but when I surf, when I go to go surfing, like I can surf because I'm so generalist in everything that I do. And the movement snacks are the way into that. So being 360 degrees strong means you can do that thing in life, which is not going to put you back out. So for example, um, you know, I would go out, I would be like filming with parkour athletes. They would be doing phenomenal, you know, action superhero looking stuff all day. And then we'd be walking back to the, you know, the underground in London. And one of them would like slip off the pavement and sprain his ankle. And you'd be like, are you serious? <laughs> and it's like, you know, someone's in the gym, they're, they're deadlifting. They don't hurt their back. They're mindful. They're there. But then they go to take the dog food out the back of the car, out of the hatchback. And it's that weird angle. And it's da da messed up they got to push a, a cup on the top of the shelf backs out because they're not 360 degrees strong they're just training in ways that things were designed for they're not having this adaptation to the weird positions and the you need to be optimal in the suboptimal you need to be able to be reactive and versatile and have access to those range of motions so that when you go into those positions and those moves your nervous system doesn't shut you down because it doesn't go like, hey, we, we don't go there. We don't go there. And we because we don't go there, you're not safe. So I'm just shutting you down right now. And that creates imbalances. So 360 degrees strong is just a concept to say, you know, like, you know, like I love like twisting and rotation and rolling and pulling and like lifting stuff in weird positions and carrying like weird shit and just kind of being very generalist, 360 degrees. I don't want to go into those weird angles and positions when I need to go, when life is going to require me to go into them and for life and my body to bite me in the ass because I haven't visited and I haven't exposed myself to that because life doesn't happen in straight lines. So why are you training in straight lines? Because if you cannot be strong unless you're 360 degrees strong, like it's a very complete kind of approach. So movement snacks is a way where you can just be consistent. You can have a 10 movement snacks is basically a 10 minute daily practice okay. where you get to go visit all the places that make you 360 degrees strong. And they also, and it acts as a gateway to movement because mobility and range of motion is, is what gives us access to movement. To, to be stronger, to be healthier, to all those things. And unless you have that, like you're kind of on borrowed time in terms of um, injuries, in terms of imbalances, in terms of nervous system. And people are busy, like chair-shaped people break really easily. And a lot of people are stuck in chairs, not through their own choices because of the work that they do. And there's still this very archaic way of thinking, which kind of... I'm, I'm really vocally against, and this may trigger people or not. I, I don't really, you know, whatever, which is like, you know, no pain, no gain. I'm just like, fuck off, shut up. Like, seriously, <laughs> for, for how long? And so I'm all for finding like your own sustainable movement culture that brings you joy. Suffering may be your form of joy. Like the parkour founders, that's their gig. I'm just, I'm just lighter. I, I like more kind of obviously kind of fun things. So for, for some people, you know, joy may be like pushing hard 
Joy may be light, it may be fast, it may be slow, it may be whatever. I'm, it's not for me to tell someone else what their movement culture is, but unless you're sustainable, unless you're 360 degrees strong, you haven't got something that's going to work for you in the long term. And I'm really interested in movement for life, sustainability, whether you're, you know, if you're in midlife, we're on this kind of crazy estrogen roller coaster. You're not the same every day. Your biochemistry is sending you a lot of messages. Most of the time you're on mute, you, re you refuse to listen, or you're so stubborn and you won't adapt your training to the reality of your day. And then you wonder why things aren't improving. And it's kind of like, well, you've got to change with the changes. People's lives are busy. And so Movement Snacks is just a way to kind of um, just bring in 10 minutes every day where you're going to start saying hello to all those other things that you're like, oh, I know I need to work on my hip flexors. Oh, I know I need to work on like letting go of tension. Oh, I know I need to do that. But like, I've only got this amount of time. I've only got that. Like, I'm not going to go to the gym and especially do that. And totally. 10 minutes a day is kind of like, um, there's loads of research out there, which is like 10 minutes is the sweet spot. And for me, I start, I never think like, okay, I'm going to go out today and train hard. Like that just, ne it's just not on my radar. I always just go and think, I'll just go and do 10 minutes and see what happens. And sometimes that 10 minutes turns into two hours. Sometimes that 10 minutes is just 10 minutes. Sometimes I have a day where, um, you know, if I'm doing lo lots of writing or, or you know, I still, I still do now, like I, I'm multi-passionate. So I have this, you know, I have a movement coaching business and I also still work in creative industries as well. Um, if I'm, you know, creative industries, unless I'm out on a shoot, I'm, I'm that chair shaped person, or, you know, I sit on the floor, I put the laptop on the coffee table and I do eight hours of hip mobility whilst getting up and down all day and working on the laptop. And my body actually feels amazing when I do that. Um, but then I can get to the end of the day and feel very disembodied, very disconnected, very cerebral, very like flat, tired physically. And I just say like, okay, I need, you know, if you're too tight, too tired to move, you probably should move. Totally. But, yes. And then, and the idea of moving for 10 minutes has far more appeal than thinking it's all or nothing thinking, well, unless I do that, unless I do that. So I have clients who like, I'm not coaching them in their deadlift and their bench press and any of those things. I'm giving them 10 minutes a day of very different things to do all the time. What does that look like? concretely like i'm very curious okay. like what would a what would a sample snack yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so my kind of classic 10 minute movement snack formula is there's one minute of intentional breathing where okay. you like take inventory you you do a body scan you breathe you like am i diaphragmatically breathing am i stuck in my fight or flight am i like still mouth breathing even though i'm just like on the floor doing nothing and you just commit in that one minute to just like this is my, this is my movement time. Everything else is going to wait. That email, that thought, that dinner, that shopping, the, those requests, like just no. And that one minute is really powerful because everyone has a minute. No matter, no matter how busy you think you are, you, you, you have one minute. You could sit on the toilet for longer and have one minute. <laughs> like, you have a minute, you have a minute. So there would be, um, and then there's like two to three minutes of nervous system resets. 
So these are moves which kind of like cross the midline. Um, I get a lot of these um, from Jared Tavasolian, who I work with, who's a kind of unique movement coach. Um, and they, you're, you're crossing the midline, you're, and you have to be diaphragmatically breathing when you do these as well. And you're connecting like left, right brain, left, right body. Um, so, and they go back to the child developmental movement patterns. So even like Paul Check works with, you know, a lot of people have different kind of names for these things. So I just call them nervous system resets. There's a whole playlist on my YouTube channel, which give you like some of the really basic ones, but there's a lot of them as well, which are actually, you can do kind of like some strength training, which is also like a nervous system reset. And um, so like crawling or like, so in parkour, people would call it QM, quadrupedal movement. So the original parkour guys, like their idea of a warm up <laughs> is basically 30 minutes of nonstop crawling variations, QM variations. And this would build what they call their body armor. So anyone who wants to be like humbled, go crawl backwards with your knees off the ground for 20 minutes. No way. Um, tell me how it goes. I just, I just actually did that in a workout. It was not, it was 30 seconds. It was not, it, is, it was not 20 it's, minutes. <laughs> it's, it's really, it's really amazing. So um, I do a lot of crawling. Crawling is like one of my foundational strength training resets kind of mm -hmm. things, but it can also be like, arm rolls, leg rolls, egg rolls. Um, you're also like reflexing your body to be able to um, invite tension and then let it go. Mm -hmm. So we want to be able to recruit tension, but that relationship between tension and relaxation is where efficiency lies versus effective. I could run from A to B like an elephant. And I could heel strike and it would like micro trauma in every step and nasty and boom, blah, 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 blah. And I was effective. Did I run? Yes. Did I get from A to B? Yes. It was effective. Got the job done. Was I efficient? No. You know, so then you, then you get into like efficiency of, of tension and relaxation and where you need to recruit it and where you need to hold it and where you need to let it go and all of those kind of things. And those, that's, those are the things where, you know, you can go and watch Cirque du Soleil and you'll be like, how do they make it look so easy? Like, that's amazing. And it's like, they are just wonderful, efficient movers totally. in practice. And you can, you can see it that, you know, this um, uh, nebulous thing of quality. You can see, like, I, I can turn up at a, a parkour jam and I can just watch everyone for like five minutes and I'll be like, that person there is like a phenomenal, incredible athlete. And it's because they move with very selective tension and maximum relaxation because the strong, the more relaxed we are, the stronger we are, which is also another societal like paradigm shift. <laughs> <laughs> and especially in midlife. Um, so yeah, minute of breathing, two to three minutes of nervous system resets. Um, and then a lot of kind of like, anti-sit moves so this could be um like a, a really classic kind of movement snack would be like um get up push up stand up so you start in like a, a turkish get up position so um you're kind of like lying on your back one arm's out to the side the legs out to the side you lean over onto the elbow push up into the shoulder then you bring a leg underneath go into a plank position then you do depending you know ad adapt it to your own progressions some form of a push-up, 
you're back in your plank and then you bring each leg to the side of your hands and you stand up and then you reverse it. Gotcha. So, or it could be um, like a Tabata set or, you know, again, if you wanted to kind of like ramp it up, like I have movement snacks for like every level, every different kind of day of the week. There's is literally- there a progression of them or is it more random than that? Um, th- there's no like system that, that we've okay. set up. It's, it's really like I, I work one-to-one um, with people. So it's like, what does someone need? Um, but actually I can talk about it now, which is exciting. So because you have runners, I know you have many runners here. Many runners. Well, so Chris McDougall is putting together Born to Run 2 right now. And there is a chapter on movement snacks. So myself and and Jared recently did a workshop um, for a group of runners who are going to be in the book. And we just introduced them to, I don't know how many will make the final cut, but there were like six different kind of types of movement snacks specifically for runners. So like um, get up, push up, stand up was one of them. There were different crawling variations. There was um, loaded breathing So when you start to breathe in one position and then there's a whole bunch of progressions of like, okay, well now put your feet here now put your arms here now put your arms here, all all of those kind of things. Because if you can't access how you're breathing in different movements, then you, you're not, you know, I have a friend who's a, a Tai Chi and Qigong teacher and she was like, Oh, you know, I'm all about breathing. And then I asked her to do, you know, sit in a kind of like some different hip mobility drills and she couldn't access her diaphragmatic breathing from those positions and again that's a very classic like you want to be 360 degrees right. strong. um so yeah there's there's a whole bunch of um you know movement snacks that are, are going to be specifically good for runners because you're always looking at what's your movement deficit okay you do a lot of moves where you're you're you know the front of you is closed okay what's missing well you want to open it so your movement snacks would be a lot more kind of like um, glute bridge, crab reach, under switch kind of thing. So we basically play with a lot of like ground flow movement. So mm-hmm. everything I've seen in parkour, everything I've, you know, uh, I'm an animal flow coach, um, everything from original strength, any everything, you know, BJJ hip mobility drills are just like phenomenal. Um, you know, so it's just like, there's no, you know, no one's reinventing the wheel. There are just, we're really in this incredible age of athleticism right now, I feel. Um, so we're looking at, you know, so what, what, what are you missing? So, you know, you know, you're, you're straight lines, you're, you're yep. straight lines. So like, okay, you, you need a lot of rotation. You need rotation, you need opening, you need, you know, it's like if you get to the end of the day and you had to make, a sculpture out of Play-Doh of like, what shape have you been mainly in today? Maybe like- <laughs> It would be an egg. <laughs> yeah. How does your body look today? You know, sometimes it's like, oh God, it'd be like spaghetti or other times it would be like, oh, lying down or other times it would be, you know. So just think like, okay, if I had to bring your body back into neutral, like where, where would I sculpt? Where would I move? And that just gives you a hint of, you know, where, you know, kind of what you're missing. So, um, you know, there's a lot of general kind of movement snacks. So the, the formula again, so you have like the breathing, you have the nervous system resets, then you have like three to four minutes of something which would be like the main like meat and potatoes of it. This this would be, you know, like the, the get up, push up, stand up. You do that for three minutes or um, just 
like a tripod getup, which is basically like you stand uh, legs apart. And then if you put your right palm on the, the floor in front of you, then you would bring your right leg through. Right. And then you can reverse it and get back up. Just getting up and down from the ground in different ways is a phenomenal thing to do for your body. And then, you know, whether it's like rolling back and coming forward. And it's amazing how many people who, um, you know, it's very challenging for them to like sit on the ground, have their knees bent in front of them, hold their knees. And then I say like, okay, like, you know, pull your chest back, like have that tension, hold it. Now I want you to let go of that tension and curve your spine and roll back and then come back up and get that tension again and then relax. And some people like they just can't get that, um, that feeling to be able to roll back because they're so used to being in so many positions where they're kind of stuck. And a lot of the, the midlife women I work with are, the the strength they have the strength of body and character is a double-edged sword because their capacity for suffering through their strength is also what allows them to suffer unnecessarily in so many aspects of their lives and the idea of kind of letting go is terrifying because they think life's going to just fall apart if they let go so you know, how we move emotionally and how we move physically are so deeply intertwined in our, in our deep unconscious. And so this emotional dialogue with our body, how we move, are we prepared to, you know, feel safe in different positions, feel safe when you roll, if you're, you're just like rolling on your back, you know, from back and then to sitting up, um, and move, like some of these moves are really, like Chris McDougall said to me afterwards, um, he was like, Jules, these moves are like sneaky hard. I was like, oh, I know. <laughs> and because they they will tax your brain and your body and they will be, they will, again, it's it's reveal and heal. Like, okay, so so there's a disconnect there. And yet because it looks so simple, it can become infuriating of like, why? why? Why can't I do that? And then, then the ego comes in of like, but I can do this and I can do that. I, I don't care. Like, <laughs> this, is, this is the thing that, that, that's, um, that's being asked. And, and going back and fixing some of these child developmental patterns will fix everything because everything's connected. So when you fix one thing, it's like a treasure map. So I get really excited when someone finds something that they can't do because I'm like, oh, cool. Yay, let's fix that. Because when you fix it, when you see it and you fix it, that's a reveal. And most of the time we're pushing through, going too fast, doing too much. And then, you know, um, I can't remember who it is who says uh, speed hides need. You know, you'll, you, you then don't get to see, you've kind of bypassed it because you're like, oh, oh anyway, anyway, you know, it's like yeah. you, know, you meet someone and they say like, oh, how are you? Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine fine tells you nothing about anyone you know it's kind of like your body saying i'm fine and um and actually you know maybe you're not fine in that position maybe you're because you know our body has no long-term health movement sustainability strategy it's get through the second get through the moment get through the day get through the task it's survival and reproduction these are our innate you know strategies so we have to kind of get involved and and do the rest of it ourselves. And that's, that's a very uncomfortable emotional journey for a lot of people. And when something seems simple and it then becomes challenging, 
that's a question of ego. And then, you know, do you ask for help? So if, if I'm teaching someone to walk on a railing, I can get up on the railing and I can walk along it. And then they get up and then they're like, how the hell are you doing this? And I'm like, give me, give me your hand. Like someone took my hand for men. Like I spent seven years stepping over things before I vaulted over things because my body wasn't ready to do it. And the emotions that I had were connected to my own physical strength and, and limitations of that. But then when my physical strength caught up, then things got really funky because it was like, I can, and I'm really scared. So how, how do I overcome that? You have to keep showing up. You have to keep showing up and you have to respect your own process, respect your you know recovery. I, I talk a lot about strong resting and movement snacks and because you can only train to your capacity to recover. And that that's really hard for people who want to do the things they love all the time. And yet they're missing this 360 degree strong. They're having a busy life. They're in midlife and their body suddenly feels like an alien where you're just like, what the hell's going on? <laughs> why am I hot? Why am I cold? Why can't I sleep? Why am I, why, am I, why do I have anxiety? Why am I putting on weight? Why am I, uh, I just want to go and ride my bike and I just want to surf and I want to do all these things. And it's like, whoa, hang on a minute. Let's just kind of have those internal conversations and um, and listen. So, you know, parkour is a listening device. It's reveal and heal. It's it's a reconnection of self to the environment, to playful, to move in a way that you used to move, and it will serve you well to help readdress imbalances, compensations, all of those things. Movement snacks are your, um, you know, your foundation. They're, they're, they should be part of, you know, a baseline of training to address those other things, which you don't want to go and spend hours doing every day because that's not the thing that brings you joy. But movement snacks also make your body feel good and it, it feels good to feel good. And if you can celebrate and acknowledge those things, then, you know, that there's, there's no motivational issue because it feels good to feel good. And it's only 10 minutes, like you have 10 minutes. Um, and then that makes you 360 degrees strong, which makes you happier. So you can spend more time doing the things you love. Excellent. I, that, that was. <laughs> That's Julie's that world. My God. <laughs> well, that's our show. Join me next week when I sit down with 16 time Ironman finisher, seven-time Kona qualifier, and Ironman coach, Julie Dunkel, who talks all about keeping the competitive fire burning hot as she adapts to her new body through the menopausal transition. Come on back for that one. And until then, as always, stay feisty. You've been listening to Hit Play, Not Pause a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I'm your host, Celine Yeager. The show is edited and produced by the strong, talented, and amazing women at Live Feisty Media. Follow us on social media at Feisty Menopause. And please help us spread the word. Screenshot and share this episode on your social media channels with the tag at Feisty Menopause. Share the show with your friends. And please subscribe, like, review, and rate this show wherever you get your podcasts. 
Word of mouth and good reviews make it easier for other listeners to find. Thanks for listening, and as always, stay feisty. Stay feisty.